you can subscribe at Substack and get early access to these shows, plus early access to my writings. Just go to truthjihad.com and click on the subscribe at Substack button. Welcome back. This is Truth Jihad Radio. We're in the second hour of tonight's radio show talking about eschatology. That is the study of the end times. We're doing it from an interfaith perspective. We had the Catholic scholar Dr. Peter Chesnowski on during the first hour talking about the Fatima apparitions conspiracy and the apparent replacement of Sister Lucy, which you can learn about at sisterlucytruth.org. Now we're moving on to a Muslim perspective, specifically a perspective from the school of the Ahlul Bayt, or the Shia school. We have a couple of Muslim scholars on with us tonight, Alamdar Zaidi and Joad Al-Ansari. They've both uh, authored and published uh, numerous books. Uh, Alamdar Zaidi is also a translator. And then we have uh, the American Shia convert, Andrew Israel, whose Islamic name, as I recall, is Muhammad Al-Mahdi, a very auspicious name for talking about the end times. So let's see if we manage to gather our group together here in the Your radio booth. To an automatic voice message um, system. I hear four, somebody's zero, got a voice seven, message coming four, through. Seven, zero, let's see if three, anyone five, is on the line. One, is Alamdar, Jawad, or At Andrew, tone, are any of you there? Your message. When you yes, are I'm recording, here. You may hang Jawad. up or press one for okay, more Okay, hello, Jawad. Salamu alaikum. Hello, Dr. Alaikum salam, brother. Good to have and you on. Who, yeah, bless, blessings. Is this, uh, who's this place, Dr. Yeah. What's your name, sir? Wow. Uh, this, I'm, get... I'm uh, Dr. Kevin Barrett. I'm the I'm the host. Kevin, and it's yes, great to sir. meet you. Yeah, we hadn't spoken nice before. Nice to meet you, doctor. Yeah, do, uh, Mr. Uh, Alamdar, he spoke kindly, nicely of you. You know. Yes. Well, he should be That's on with right. us before too long, too. Uh, inshallah. Uh, so, yes. so Joad, you're, you're the uh, founder of the National Association of Islamic Chaplains and an author yes. of a number of books. Sure. And yeah, you've written, I did that. Uh-huh. You've written on eschatology. Which is our topic tonight? Okay. Yeah, so I'm I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing about that. Um, and I I don't know if do, Alamdar, are you on now? Maybe we've had a problem reaching Alamdar. Yeah, we, we do. Well, the thing is, he said at uh, seven o'clock, but it seems like <laughs> maybe his seven o'clock and now your seven o'clock is a little different. Hello. Yes. Yeah. Some of these time yeah, zones. There he is. There is somebody. There he is. Hello. Yes. Is that Alamdar? Yes. Yes. Hey, welcome, okay. Alamdar. How are you? Oh, I'm fine. Okay, I'm waiting. I'm waiting for you on the Skype. Oh, well, this you're on the radio now, so you don't have to wait for me anymore. <laughs> so, okay. uh, I, I have to talk uh, on my cell phone. Yes, yes, I guess. Well, I guess so. I guess the Skype didn't work for whatever reason. I'm sorry. Okay, no problem. No problem. It's but we're, we we hear you, so that that's fine. And I don't know yeah. if we have uh, Andrew Israel on the line yet. Andrew, are you there? Salam. Yep, I'm here. Hey, Salam, uh, well, Andrew. There we okay. go. Full house. Okay. Yeah, how are y'all doing? A, uh, we're doing well. Alhamdulillah. <laughs> so, uh, I guess a good 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 place to start would be. How about uh, how about our friend Doctor Ansari? Is he on the line? Can yes, yes sir. Him? Yes, brother. Yeah, I, I am on the line. Uh-huh. Yes, he is. He was the first one to get successfully connected, I think. Yeah. Uh, so the 
all, all of you are part of the Ahlul Bayt or, or Shia school of Islamic thought, which is uh, perhaps even more uh, sort of focused on and interested in the study of the end times, uh, the return of, of uh, the Mahdi or the 12th Imam, and, uh, and the return of uh, Sayyidina Isa or Jesus. And this is something that most Christians don't really understand, that, that Muslims, just like Christians, accept uh, Sayyidina Isa or Jesus as the one Messiah. And our end time scenario is pretty similar to theirs. Um, and, and yet the Christians are often taught that, that Muslims are radically different and opposed to them and fighting with them and, and, and on and on and on. So I guess all of you have perhaps you know had to deal with this since we're we're all here in the United States uh, surrounded by this yeah. post-Christian culture. Um, is any, would anyone like to to start by by kind of discussing how how do we communicate these things to uh, an American secular or yeah. Christian audience? Do I have the permission to Do I have the permission to speak? Uh, sure, go go ahead. That's that's Alamdar. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. Uh, salamu alaikum. Uh, Bismillah Rahman Rahim. In the name of God, the most beneficent and the most merciful. Uh, listen, we are uh, we are living in this country, you know, in the United States. So we are sitting in the same ship, and uh, we cannot drill a hole to to destroy the ship in which we are sitting. So we love this country. We are living here, and we are very really sincere about this country. So I would like to. Uh, start uh, uh, my, uh, you know, I have selected a verse from the Holy Quran that relates uh, our Christian friends uh, to the Muslims. So I would start with that uh, uh, verse from the Holy Quran, which is Al-Maida, and it's the fifth uh, surah from the Holy Quran. And it says, uh, and surely it tells to the prophet, and surely you will find the nearest of them in affection to the faithful to be those who say we are Christians. That is because they are priests and monks among them and because they are not arrogant. So I wanted to start uh, this program with relating uh, Muslims to the Christians, you know. That was one thing. And the other thing that uh, we believe that the Christ is supposed to come and we Muslims, you know, we believe that Imam Mahdi would come and they would come simultaneously. And also it's very interesting mm -hmm. that from the Nargis Khatun, who is the mother of Imam Mahdi, she is a um, Roman princess and she is the daughter of a, you know, Roman empire, emperor. And the, that emperor is connected to the disciples of the Jesus Christ. So anyway, these together, these two people would come simultaneously. The Christians are waiting. We are also waiting. And then when Mehdi would come, he would rule for 40 years, and there would be peace upon the earth. But these stupid evangelists like Billy Graham and you know all these stupid and idiots, they tell the Americans and the Christians that first of all there must be a government of Zionists in Bethel Muqaddas, you know, in Jerusalem, and then the Christ would come. So they are the ones, you know. <laughs> 
these stupid idiots, they, they confuse the whole thing, you know. And uh, I, I thought maybe this would help us in relating to the, you know, Christians and the Americans. Well, yeah, that's a great point. And, and you make a, a great point that, that there's this crazy idea of forcing God's hand. That is, some of the Christians kind of admit that uh, there are all sorts of terrible things happening in occupied Palestine. But by committing abominations in the Holy Land, they will force God's hand and force God to send Jesus back. So by purposely doing evil, then they think that somehow that will produce good, which is a bizarre doctrine. Well, Dr. Al-Ansari, uh, yes. what are your thoughts about this? Yes. Well, really, there is a very wrong ideology going around that when the Mahdi uh, appears or comes, he will destroy everybody except the Muslims. That is very wrong. That goes completely with the statements against the statements of the Quran that said there is no compulsion in religion. I mean, what is the usage? Yes, just like any country that fights corruption, fights mischief. When he comes, he comes to fight mischief. He did not. He does not come to fight religion. He does not come to God forbid, God forbid, uh, kill the uh, Jewish or the Buddhists or the. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody's free in this world. And matter of fact, this freedom is what makes us precious in God's eyes. By our freedom, we choose the mighty. We call him Allah, God, our Creator. And this is our test in this life, in this life, to find who is the real creator. Uh, is it, uh, God forbid, I mean, you know, a cow? <laughs> is it uh, that statue that's put on the face of the earth, wherever it is? Or we, so, uh, so it is a very wrong phenomenon. When the 12 apostle appears, he comes with total peace. He, he comes with, but the, because of the mischief, because of the uh, killing, uh, they need to be punished. So this is I want everybody to know, that Christians, Jewish, uh, uh, Sabians, you know, the, the believers, and uh, the one that uh, baptized Jesus, may God's peace and blessings be upon him, uh, they are free. They are free. They're not, we're, or who are, the Mahdi does not come to kill everybody, God forbid. He doesn't come. But we would like a clean system. So when he comes, he comes to purify uh, the world from crime. That, that's what the issue is. That's what I add to my brother, Mr. Alamdar. Very interesting. And, and Andrew, you've, you came from Judaism to Shia Islam. Do you yeah. can you remark on the differences, sort of, uh, in thinking about things like like end time scenarios and Zionism uh, between those two communities? Yeah, uh, one of the things I find really fascinating is that if uh, one goes back to the Book of Genesis, specifically chapter seventeen, verse twenty, it talks about how Ishmael will have these twelve princes. In other words, the twelve imams will eventually come into the scene, and um, we kind of see that, you know, for play in uh, 12 or Shia Islam. And one of the things that I find just so remarkable about Shia Islam is that um, coming from Judaism is that we now get to embrace Jesus as a prophet who's going to come down in in the end times, but also 
being able to continue our worship of God and like having that, that close connection that doesn't really go away and, and to understand like who Imam Al-Mahdi is and what he's going to be doing in the end times. Interesting. Yeah, that's, that's, that's uh, quite, quite a journey. It's, it's almost as, <laughs> as big a journey from Judaism <laughs> to, to Shia Islam as, as sort of my journey from lapsed Unitarianism to uh, just plain Islam. I don't really think of myself as Sunni or Shia. I see very good points in both, and I'm, I'm, just, I'm still seeking for the, yeah. the truth from all uh, schools of thought. Uh, well, so Alamdar, uh, you, yes, uh, yes. Are, yes, you, you have, well, you, you sort of came uh, to study these topics uh, in the 1970s, and you saw the Islamic Revolution happening in 1979 in Iran and concluded that there was a, a connection between that and the events of the end times and the eventual return of Imam Mahdi. So maybe you talk about how you you came to see that uh, during the period of, of the Islamic Revolution in Iran. Well, uh, uh, you know, the topic that I have sent uh, for discussions, well, it consists of my few journeys, you know, one to the Aligarh Muslim University and then second to the Tehran. And the third one is like uh, returning from Tehran. So I don't know how you would like me to proceed. You know, should I start uh, the way I have sent you the topics or? Uh, yeah, well, you, you I, could just just give us the very the very brief version of your biography, focusing on how you uh, became interested in uh, in these religious topics, and particularly in in the end times and its relationship to the Islamic Revolution. Well, uh, actually, you know, I I left my hometown uh, in India uh, to the Aligarh University in 1961. And uh, uh, I joined this university, you know, which was founded by the famous uh, uh, personality, Sir Syed Ahmed Khan, who was the founder of the, you know, Aligarh Muslim University. And the Britishers uh, invited Sir Sayyid to, to England and to London, and they bestowed upon him the title of Sir. And, uh, well, he was so much uh, impressed by the British uh, glittering that uh, his views uh, were kind of changed. You know, he, he wrote the commentary about the Holy Quran but it was more or less like materialistic. And on the contrary, we have uh, Sayyid Jamaluddin Afghani, uh, who was a contemporary of the uh, Sir Sayyid. And, uh, but he, he remained uh, you know, committed to the true Islam. And then he published uh, a general from Paris. Its name was uh, Urvatul Wuska. So anyway, in Aligarh University, uh, I did not find anything Islamic over there, except that this name is Muslim University. And uh, um, we were very, very westernized, uh, you know, over there. And uh, some of our Shiite uh, intellectuals, uh, they were actually comrades, you know. The, the communism was very much, uh, you know, uh, prevailing. So all the Shia intellectual, learned, you know, they were, most of them were comrades, you know, the communists. And as far as 
I was concerned, I was uh, uh, reading uh, the beautiful books which were published in America. And I read every book about President Kennedy and President Johnson. And, uh, you know, there was a book by um, uh, William Suleiman about the life of a president. And I think it was about uh, four inches thick. And uh, one thing I would like to mention here that uh, President Johnson, he was very jealous of uh, the Irish uh, uh, people that Kennedy has gathered. One of them were McGeorge Bundy. So Johnson asked him uh, to give him the report about the Vietnam War when he was in the toilet. You know. I mean, that's, that's really disgusting and shameful. Well, Johnson was a psychopath. Yeah, that the president would ask uh, this guy, McGeorge Bundy, you know, to give him the report uh, while he was, uh, you know, sitting in the toilet. There, there there are actually even worse stories about Johnson than that, but I'll, I'll refrain from uh, disgusting the listeners by telling them. <laughs> okay. And then, you know, uh, regarding the... Uh, British colonialism, you know, uh, well, I, I, I know that, uh, you know, there was a national hero in Iran, his name was Mirza Kuchisan Jangli, and then uh, he was fighting the Britishers uh, from the forest. So one British officer, he, he talked to the Mirza Kuchisan Jangli, and he told him that if you do not cooperate with us, we are going to impose upon you the worst kind of human being, you know. And and then they they planted uh, Raza Shah, who was a uh, illiterate soldier from the Kazakh Brigade, and uh, for 26 years he you know did a lot of damage. You know he used to take away the turbans of the scholars, and then he closed the you know Islamic seminaries, and then he used to snatch the the chador, the hijab of the uh, Muslim women. And uh, used to, you know, use the mosque as a stable for his horses. So he he did terrible things to the Iran. And uh, his close friend was Ataturk in uh, uh, in Turkey. You know, they, they, these two idiots they thought that the religion is the you know uh, is the causes of backwardness. Now regarding the arrival of the Imam Mahdi uh, in Iran, we have two. Very, very learned scholars. Uh, one of them is Ayatollah uh, Abdullah Jawadi Amli, who is alive, Alhamdulillah. And the second one is uh, Ayatollah Hassan Zade Amli, who has recently died. So these were the two most learned, uh, you know, uh, what you call Gnostic or Arif Kamil of our time. So Ayatollah Hassan Zad Amli has said that the that the appearance of the Imam of Mehdi has already begun with the creation of the Islamic Republic, and it will be gradual. And uh, the, the the smaller appearance has already started, and the greater is supposed to come lately. And the way the rebirth or occultation. It started, it was in two stages. We have Ghibate Sora, the smaller occultation, and Ghibate Kubra, the greater occultation. So in accordance with the Ayatollah Hassan Zadeh Amili, uh, the, the appearance of Imam Mehdi has already 
started. And I tell you that my father, uh, he was an employee when the Britishers were ruling the, the India. So I have seen the letters of my father. In every letter he used to write, oh God, he's the son of uh, government of Britannia, always shining, you know. So in one generation, <laughs> you know, I have seen the Islamic revolution. So I think the time is on our side. The time is on our side. Uh, you know, the truth is going to be victorious, inshallah, very soon. Well, the, the Islamic Revolution seems kind of miraculous, both in how it happened kind of out of nowhere and how it's been preserved despite the enmity of the world's biggest powers um, since 1979. So, Dr. Al-Ansari, uh, yes, what, what's your take on the relationship between the study of the end times and the Islamic Revolution and Islamic Republic of Iran? Yes. Okay. Well, uh, if you look uh, through the history after Prophet Muhammad, peace upon him, the only one that came into the picture was Imam Ali and his son, and it, they didn't last. But uh, at that time, Imam Mahdi was not born. He still needed another <laughs> 10 Imams in order to, uh, to come to life. Uh, our system is really different. If you look at the Islamic Republic of Iran, although, yes, we go through the organizational system, the leadership system, in which uh, we need the seven vital elements of every society, from the leadership to organization, to communication, to the people and strength and so forth. Uh, we did not have that solid government except with the Islamic Republic of Iran, as we have right now. So I think since it started about 40 years ago, it is uh, beginning to put the solid ground, the solid pillar for uh, Imam Mahdi or the 12 apostles. And of course, behind him, we believe Jesus to come into the picture. Before that, there was no country and it would be useless for a leader to show up while he does not have support. You see, we did have 11 Imams and they were all uh, killed. If you, if you read their, their history, they were killed. They were martyred in one way or another, whether by, by poison or by sword, like Imam Hussein, is there upon him. So now, uh, with the birth of the Islamic Republic, they are paving the way for the leaders to come. And once the leader showed up, then uh, the organization and the community and the society will be hopefully uh, established. That's how I look at it. Right now, we okay. do have the ground for it. Yes. I, I see. Laying the groundwork. Well, you know, I, I don't know that there's some feedback coming through. So if anybody is capable of muting their microphone when they're not speaking, that probably would be a good idea. Uh, and or plug in headphones and, and we'll have a better broadcast yeah. for the second half. <laughs> OK, uh, yeah. so Andrew, what, what's your your take on this? Uh, you, you've um, come out of uh, the, the Jewish faith uh, and there are all sorts of different views, you know, ranging from the Nature Carta view that kind of agrees that Zionism is allied with uh, the, the dark side or what have you, uh, ranging to liberal secularists who probably dominate 
the more um, sort of socially successful elements of the Jewish community. And, and then there are, um, there are Orthodox Jews who are rabidly pro-Israel, uh, just like the Notori Carter ones are rabidly anti-Israel. And so the, there's a, a wide, there are all sorts of different views of the kinds of eschatological sort of issues that, uh, that arise. And in particular, the, this Islamic Republic of Iran right now seems to be considered the biggest threat to Israel. And things are sort of shaping up for that kind of, you know, political battle that seems to have echoes in eschatology. Uh, so maybe you can talk a little bit about the way, you know, your understanding of this stuff has evolved uh, as you've you know, been in both of these communities. Yeah, and I've been uh, involved definitely in both communities. Uh, one of the things I find really fascinating is that really we look at the Islamic Revolution as just a counter-revolution to the creation of the Zionist state, just because uh, the Shah of Iran, like at the time, was a puppet of the West. And it's just it's interesting to even go back to uh, just the divide that goes on in the, in the Jewish community between Israel, like for example today. Um, you know, Trump goes out and he blasts the Jewish community saying like, oh, they're not like supportive enough of Israel, like as if, you know, like they need to be like just like the evangelical base um, of his. And it's just it's it's a little bit of like a, it definitely feels like it is like the end times, just because there's just so much division, not only within the Jewish community, but just with, you know, the world just as a whole. I think people are just asking themselves like, what kind of leadership are we looking for moving forward and something that's just beyond just like the nation states of the world. And, and what, what could, you know, make things change? I mean, we can always imagine how things could get worse as, you know, when uh, the Trump administration murdered General Soleimani, uh, that was really virtually a declaration of war that could have spiraled out of control and so we can always imagine how things like that could lead to uh, all sorts of mayhem. Um, is it, you think of any ways that things could somehow radically improve? That is, if it, usually this, the, the story in, in eschatology is that there's a, there's a great battle of some kind. Uh, does that have to mean a military battle? And if so, in, in the modern age with the horrific weapons that we have, how could that be anything but uh, terrible and unfortunate? Uh, and is there any alternative? Yeah, and, and I think Iran especially is prepared for any confrontation if that was the case. I mean, one of the things that they pointed out is that if Israel were to strike any of its nuclear sites, like if, if it even has any, then it says like it'll raise, you know, Tel Aviv and Haifa to the ground. Um, and I think uh, that's just something that just just kind of shows like the tensions that are going on between the two countries. But um, really for the world to just improve its relations with Iran is, is, you know, the United States needs to get back into the JCPOA and they need to abide by like the, the Iran nuclear deal that they started. And it's just they're not doing it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that uh, destruction of the nuclear deal by the Trump administration neocons uh, really did sort of heat things up, and it's still it's still pretty overheated right now. Uh, well, uh, Alamdar, you lived in Iran uh, for a couple of decades. Uh, I think you, you were there years, from 
20 years, 1983 yeah. to 2003, during that yeah. uh, early phase of the Islamic Republic, when there was the uh, the war, the imposed war with Iraq, that the West had armed Saddam Hussein to the teeth and sent him against Iran to try to strangle the revolutionary baby in its cradle. And that backfired. Iran fought back uh, and was on the brink of being able to defeat Iraq, uh, West-supported Iraq. And then Saddam Hussein uh, was helped by the West. The U.S. then shot down a, a civilian airliner, which apparently convinced the Iranian leadership that the Americans were crazy. <laughs> and uh, uh, So the, uh, Imam Khomeini had to drink from the poison chalice and accept an unjust peace with uh, this aggressor that had attacked Iran. So you were there during this period of atrocious war and suffering in the 1980s, but also along with that war and suffering, there was also all kinds of hope and you were living in a whole new kind of society. Uh, so maybe you could talk a little bit about that. Yeah, well, uh, uh, in the Aligarh University, you know, uh, I was there for uh, 10 years and uh, six years as a student of engineering. I got my BS and then I achieved the first rank in a class and I was the gold medalist of the university. So the tradition was that uh, uh, they used to hire you if you are the uh, first position holder. So I was appointed as a lecturer in the Department of Civil Engineering. And my head of the department, he asked me uh, to to set up the library, you know. So there was a big room that was given to me. And the, there was an t- old typewriter, you know, over there with a manual, you see. So I feel like the God controls everything, you know. I, I think that typewriter with the... Uh, manual it was specifically assigned by god almighty for alamdar you know so the first thing i did i started learning the how to type you know and that was uh, you know in 1967 and then i would use this typesetting for my arrival to the united states you know writing letters and communicating and all that so in 1971 i came to america and then uh, you know and interestingly, it was without money and without a suitcase because I bought the ticket from Egyptian airline, which was very cheap. So when I came, I was, you know, without any money and without my suitcase. Anyway, I got, uh, you know, my professional examination, PE. I'm a professional engineer in New York and North Carolina and Florida. And then I got my master's degree in civil engineering in 1979 from the University of South Carolina. Then 1979 was the year when I have something what they call American dream. You know, I have a two-story house. I have two cars. I have $3,000 salary. And uh, the only thing I do not have was a dog. (laughs) But I was close to, to the American dream. So in 1979, the revolution happened, and uh, God made me some, some kind of mid-course correction that the first time in my life I read the Holy Quran, you know, uh, word by word, and uh, I, you know, highlighted with the yellow marker, and also the Najul Balagha, the peak of eloquence by Imam Ali al-Islam. And then God directed me after the reading of the Holy Quran and Najul Balagha. God connected me to the Imam Khomeini 
and the Islamic Revolution that I started uh, following, uh, you know, the Islamic Revolution uh, wholeheartedly. And one day while I was cutting the grass of my lawn, I was talking to myself and I said, oh God, uh, is this is going to be the life of Alamdar in America that you have to cut the grass every week and then Christmas comes and Halloween comes and Thanksgiving comes, you know. So I was talking to myself, but believe me, Kevin, the examination, you know, because God in Quran says that we will examine you, you know. My examination started instantaneously. The two letters came to my mailbox. One was from the Saudi Arabia that was from a recruiter. And they were offering, you know, very high salary and all kind of benefits. And there was a tiny letter from Iran, which was just one sentence, you know. And it was saying that uh, uh, those sincere Muslim he wants to serve, we would welcome them, you know. So anyway, uh, I had a very hard time. I, I was very young at that time, you know. And leaving a country like America with uh, affluence and a very good job, $3,000 salary, and uh, I was working for Duke Power Company, which was the ninth largest utilities of the United States. So I was... Uh, you know, it, it was very difficult to make the decision. It's not a joke. So I decided, or Allah wanted me to, I, I took three days of fasting, you know. And when the third day of fasting was over, a guy from Afghanistan, who was a refugee from Afghanistan, his name was Noshad, he came to my house, and <laughs> it was the result of three days of fasting, you know. And Noshad tells me, Alamda, Imam Khomeini has invited you. Go, no thinking, you know. So that was the, uh, you know, result of my three days of fasting. And then one more interesting thing, you know, when I was uh, uh, giving the key of my house next day, uh, that night I became very, very, you know, uh, agitated. I started crying and I told God, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that uh, I, in 12 years, I tried a lot. I worked very hard. I got my master's degree, P, and all that. Now I'm leaving this country and going to a country where I don't know the, the language. And uh, there's a war going on. So I cried. And I opened the Holy Quran, you know. And you know, the worst Suez Waqia, the event came. And uh, where there was the description of the foremost and foremost in the race that they were sitting. So Allah told me that don't cry about this wooden house, you know. I have created you for something else, you know. So that was my journey, uh, you know, that uh, there was a letter from Iran. And then I, I, I went to Iran in uh, 1983. And, uh, well, I was not, you know, I was without money. I do not know the language, Persian language. And when we come from India to America, well, the English is the medium, you know, and, and in America, there is a system when you come on green card, there is a system, you know, but in Iran, after the revolution, there was no system, you know, there was no green card. So it was very, very painful. It was very, very torturous, you know, to, uh, to live through those, uh, what you call, you know, war, bombardment and uh, the rationing and the coupons, you know, 
and uh, but anyway god helped me you know and i started uh, reading the books of scholars like ustad mutari imam khomeini ayatullah dasghair and i would continue uh, to read these books for a period of seven years earlier i have told you that i have reading all the books published in america about canadian johnson so when i was a student at delhi university there was a storage on my right hand side of my brain you know and there it is plan of allah subhanahu wa taala that i will go to iran and then for seven years i would be reading the persian books they were stored on my left hand side and then in 1990 i would start writing about the you know uh, again it's very interesting that when decided to translate i started translating a book about the bosnia you know Her, but one of my friend his name was mr tawakkuli he came to me and he says alamdar if you want to do something the bosnia is, is today tomorrow nobody would know bosnia if you want to do something do about a little bit so that was again a, you know mid course correction by god and the first thing i did was importance of patience and prayer by sayyid ali khamenei and uh, you know and then i will translate about 12 books that were uh, published by ansarian publication in the holy city of qom and it was very hard it was very very difficult but anyway in the shiite uh, culture we have imam hussein you know the uh, the story of karbala for example and that karbala and the the, the incident of imam hussein is something that it just create uh, you know pure energy so even saddam hussein has the support of the whole world the entire world but these people we call them basiji or mobilized forces i mean they really uh, you know sacrifice their lives for the love of imam hussein alay salam and the ahlul bayt alay salam and uh, it was one of the most uh, sacred defense and there are stories uh, of the people that they really did uh, wonderful things you know Mm-hmm. And one of the reasons that the uh, U.S. has decided not to go to war with Iran, despite all of the prodding from the Zionists and so on, is is that that uh, Basiji and the, the mobilized people of Iran are a really formidable opponent. Uh, it's not the kind of country that you would want to try to occupy. Uh, and so, uh, Dr. Al Ansari, you've also studied uh, through the holy city of Qom. Uh, and, yeah. you know, interestingly, when I mentioned Qom, I've been there a few times myself, and I was just oh, talking about sure. Qom with uh, Ron Unz of the Unz Review. Uh, he's written a number of articles, and actually it's collected into an ebook about the origins of COVID. And oh. he believes, and I think he has a very good argument uh, and evidence supporting him, that it was probably unleashed by a U.S. bio war attack on China mm-hmm. and Iran. And one of the items he cites is, is the fact that the place that COVID went to after first hitting uh, in, in Wuhan at the exact worst place and time uh, for China possible at the, the moment of Chinese New Year when the whole country was moving through Qom, then it, it moving through Wuhan, then it jumped to Qom and disproportionately affected uh, Iranian political and religious leadership. And so I, I thought about that when I was thinking yeah. about the, you know, the times I've been in Qom. 
so there's, you know, we're in a, a very a, a crazy geopolitical situation, a crazy moment with with COVID, and and you're studying uh, religion through a seminary in Plumman. Maybe you could re- kind of reflect on that and and tell us about your, your thoughts and experiences. Actually, I've been to Qom, but I, and my teachers are from Qom, and they are the students of Ayatollah uh, Wahid Khurasani. You know, he is one of the grand Ayatollahs in, in Persia and Iran right now. But I did not go there. However, yes, I heard that the first launch of this COVID was in China, and the second greatest launch was in Qom. However, that uh, that needs to be proven as well, you know. The, so I, but really, I, I although as you said, I, me too. I, I love Qom. I've been to Qom, but uh, yeah, and I and I stayed there for a good while. But but I don't know if uh, I was not there during the COVID. Matter of fact, right. I was here. Right here. So yeah, you're are you stu- you're studying uh, with a with a teacher sort of through uh, yeah. remotely. Yeah. Yes, my teachers were the students of uh, Ayatollah Wahid Khasani. Yeah, that's that's wonderful, and and that's uh, such a, a great thing that the traditional Islamic seminary system has survived in Iran in a way that it hasn't in so many other places. Yes, I, to me it is. Well, I consider that started by Imam Asajat by. When he, of course, because he was under great pressure, so so he wrote uh, the Psalms of the Mandistajad, which the Sahih Asajadi had heard about it. But then his son, which was Imam Al Baqir, he kind of put the pillars to it. Imam Jafar Sadiq, he established the school, and it's still going. It's still going, hopefully. And, and why? Why? Why is it that? Imam Jafar al-Sadiq, the founder of the Jafari Law School, which is considered one of the uh, fully legitimate law schools by all traditional Muslims, um, and that's the basis of the of the Shia or Al-Ubayt group, uh, somehow there's a weird contradiction in that there are some uh, some Muslims who have a problem with Shia Islam, but they're supposed to accept <laughs> the Jafari Law School. And they have great respect yeah. for for Imam uh, Jafar. So, uh, yeah. I, how, how do we resolve that contradiction? Well, the first thing I ask them is, uh, what is let's say, what is your way? Let me call it a way. You know, sometimes they call it uh, Shia Sunni, and I, I truly don't believe that. I think that's a political answer. It is not that I'm not a Sunni. I think I am more Sunni than any Sunni. If Imam Abi held the Sunnah of Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, then I'm more Sunni than anyone else. But anyway, my first question is, what are you? What is your way? If he said, let's say, uh, the Shafi'i or Hanbali, I said, okay, who is this person? Who is he? Who is uh, Maliki? Who is Ahmad bin Hanbal? You see? Let him, for the sake of argument, say that he is a scholar that came about a hundred years after the Prophet, may Allah's peace and blessings be upon him. And he started, he studied, matter of fact, uh, you know that two of uh, the Sunni scholars had studied under the Imam Jafar Sadiq's school, and the other two studied under their hands. You see, so in other words, 
the big teacher was Imam Sadiq, may Allah's peace and blessings be upon him. So I said, okay, then I am the follower. If you would know, if you don't know who are the tree or the ancestors of your Imam, I know the ancestors of my Imam. Imam Jafar Sadiq is the son of Imam Al Baqir. Imam Al Baqir is the son of Imam Al Sajjad or the fourth Imam, right? Zainul Abidin. Imam Zainul Abidin is the son of Imam Hussein, in whom he is the son of Ali and Fatima, and his grandfather is Rasulullah. You see? Now, who should I follow? Should I follow the one that has been uh, born, raised, and uh, being brought up in the house of the Prophet, peace be upon him? Or somebody who showed up about, who showed up about 100 years after the Prophet and he made a way of Islam. You see, so, so to me, <laughs> I think uh, if this should answer his question. Who am I? If I'm Jafari, I am following Ahlul Bayt, in which Allah's gods, in the whole Quran, he purified them, a thorough purification. And he said, matter of fact, in the, in the two sections, the first section said, I will not allow the dirt to be coming to you. Yudhiba Ankumarich. Number one, the, the mischief, the dirt, the sins, uh, the nudges, you know, rich nudges is bad. Number one, I will not allow that to come to you. And number two, I will purify a, you a thorough purification. If they bring an ayah such as this one for Abu Hanifa, then I will bow down. Or for Malik or, or Shafi or Hanbali, I will bow down, you see. So that is why I follow Imam Jafar al-Sadiq. And I hope that the Sunnis would listen to this section as well. You know, I mean, you go uh, Kevin, uh, let, let me add uh, an interesting story to Brother Ansari's uh, comment. Uh, uh, do I have your permission to add any story here? Uh, yes, certainly. Okay. okay, there was a Mughal a king in Iran. His name was Sultan Kudabande. And uh, it happens that uh, during the night, he has a dispute with his wife, and he said, uh, divorce, 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 three times. Uh, in Sunni school of thought, if you say three times, I divorce, I divorce, then, you know, uh, he's divorced. So in the morning, when the king uh, wake up, he saw his wife was putting a chador, you know, and was covering. He said, what the hell happened? You are my wife. He says, no, I'm not your wife. You divorced me, <laughs> me last night, you know. So with Sultan Khudabande, he loved his uh, wife, you know. And that uh, three-time divorce, it was by anger or whatever, you know. So then he invites all the scholars of uh, uh, Hanafi, Hanbali, Shafi, and Maliki, you know. And their scholars came and they said, uh, your majesty, She's not your wife. <laughs> we cannot help you. Then Sultan said, I want the solution of this problem. This is the only solution would be contacting the Jafri school of thought, you know. So the king orders that Allah Majisi should come from Najaf to, to Iran, you know, to visit the king. And when Allah Majisi came, he was holding his shoes um, 
uh, under his armpits, you know. <laughs> so the king said, why the hell you are putting your shoes in your armpits? What's wrong with you? He says, I was afraid that uh, the Malik has stolen the shoes of the Holy Prophet. <laughs> that is the reason, you know, I am keeping my shoes in, under the armpits. So the Malik, he says, oh, he was not there at the time of Prophet. He was there after 100 years, you know. So Allah Almighty says, okay, if it was Malik, it, maybe it was the Shafi who stole the shoes of the Holy Prophet. And then the Shafi scholar said, no, he was also not there. He was after 100 years, you know. And and remaining people, they said the same thing. So then Allah Almighty told to this king, Sultan Khurabande, that... Why the hell you believe in those people who were not present and they came after 100 years? Why don't you listen to Imam Ali salam who was born and raised by the Holy Prophet? So the Sultan Khudavande, he became the, you know, Shia. And, uh, well, that was one of the reasons of the spread of Shiite Islam in Iran. And also the arrival of Imam Raza, salam, uh, you know, to Iran. And, uh, and the things uh, that happened uh, to the Iranian kings, like, uh, uh, for example... You know, you know that, that story parallels the uh, story of how the Church of England began with uh, King uh, Henry uh, wanting to divorce his wife. But but the uh, the Iranian version is much more heartwarming. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so so you know, we, we don't have much time left in the show, and I thought we should kind of revisit a little bit what I talked about in the first hour with Peter Chesnovsky, which is the fact that you you are all um, Alul Bayt Muslims or people of the house who focus on the people of the house, meaning the descendants of the Prophet Muhammad, peace upon him, uh, through uh, Ali and Fatima. And it's you think that it might be a sort of a message from God that the visions at Fatima, which are playing such a huge role in in Christianity and Catholicism have been so controversial. They happened in a place named Fatima in Portugal. Yes. Uh, and this, what what's the significance of that? Who, who would like to comment on that? Uh, my go, I don't know. I, I heard the story. I read it. And there is a church of thought. Church, but do I have the permission to say yes or yeah, no? Yes. I could go. Yeah. Yes. Well, we believe that the lady who appeared to the three girls was Fatima, peace be upon her, uh, the prophet's wife. But for some particular reason, when I hear the stories, uh, whether it's from the lady of Fatima's church or the Christian's version of it, they say, no, it was Mary, may God's peace and blessing be, uh, be upon her, the mother of Jesus. And she's pure as well. Uh, so we believe that it was Fatima that happened in Portugal. These three ladies, somehow they got lost and Fatima, peace be upon her, she came into their vision or their revered sight or whatever it was. As a matter of fact, if you look at uh, the TV, there is a, there's a film about it, you know, so people can uh, take the details of it a little bit more. But this is the story, yes. So yeah, that's, it's very interesting, and and it mm-hmm. seems to tie in with with the idea oh, of of um, religious uh, kind of uh, confusion and such 
because uh, you know many of the people of Islam you know may have gotten away from the original uh, teachings, and then the the Catholic interpretation of Fatima is also about that, about the people of their school getting away from their original teachings. And so you you all are saying kind of go back. Uh, in fact, a lot, a lot of Muslims are saying go back to the original teachings, but of course they have slightly different ideas of, of what that means. Uh, yes, yes. Oh, Kevin, uh, uh, let, let me let me tell you that I have uh, uh, these uh, ten books about the Ahlul Bayt which are available online at Amazon, and uh, the, the names of the book is uh, 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 the life of Imam Ali Salam, the life of Hazrat Fatma Zara, Salamullah Aleha, the life of Imam Zainul Abidin, the life of Imam Muhammad Baqir, and importance of patience and prayer, and what we should know about Islam, and self-building, and letters to the Western youth, and truth and falsehood. So these are the books which are available, uh, and these are written by the most uh, uh, learned and uh, famous uh, scholars from the Jose Ilmiyakum. Yes, and I, I particularly uh, like the letters to the Western youths. I actually published those in my books about the Charlie Hebdo events and then the, the terror events in Paris uh, of November 2015, uh, because I, I thought that those were really a significant reaction to those probably you know, false flag events that were part of a campaign and, uh, to demonize Islam. Well, Kevin, there is something in Arabic, there is a word we call ilham. And in English, its equivalent would be revelation. So God mm-hmm. uh, sent uh, wahi uh, uh, to the prophets, but for ordinary people, there is a ilham. So I believe that uh, uh, Ayatollah Khamenei, he has a, some kind of you know ilham from the God or from Imam Zaman, Imam of the age, that he decided you know to to write these uh, letters and uh, uh, this country uh, it has the beauty of uh, freedom and now let me quote you that uh, the book has been published by the Atarao's and the last page it says what kind of violence would be compared today with Zionist regime settlement construction in terms of its intense brutality this regime without having ever been seriously and effectively blamed by its influential allies or at least so-called independent international institutions has been demolishing the homes of Palestinians and destroying their orchards and farmlands on a daily basis. This is done without even giving them time to gather their belongings or agricultural products. And usually all this is often taking place before the terrified and fearful eyes of their women and children who witnessed the brutal beating and injury of their family members who in some cases are being dragged away to the notorious torture chamber. That's the last page of the letter. So, yeah, that's, those, are, those are very, very strong letters, and I, I urge people to, to read them. You can find that uh, at the links. The links to this radio show are up by way of truthjihad.com. Just click on the radio schedule link, find your way to the post about this show, and you can find out more about those books. Well, thank you so much, uh, Alam Darzaidi and uh, Dr. Jawad Al-Ansari and Andrew Israel. It's been a wonderful conversation. God bless all of you and uh, look forward to more conversation. Thank you, sir. Okay, take care.
is Trip Jihad Radio. I'm Kevin Derrick. Back next week, same time, same channel. Actually, we won't be. It'll be the, uh, the vacation next week. So I'll be back in, in, in three weeks, same time, same channel. God willing.